Well, this morning we're going to finish up our series on dollars and cents. And again, what the Bible has to say on dollars and cents. Not what your neighbor has to say. Not what your broke brother-in-law has to say. Your broke neighbor, your broke cousin. No, it's what the Bible teaches about finances. It's what the Bible teaches about finances. And uh, before we begin, let's pray. Let me join me in this time of prayer. Father, we are so thankful to you, my God, because you're good to us. And Father, one of the ways you're good to us is that you speak to us. When we have a need, you speak to us through your word. Father, through the lips of someone who's close to you. Thank you, my God, because you're constantly speaking into our lives through different ways. And today I pray a blessing, my God, as we hear from you today. God, open up our hearts for what you have for us. Open up our minds for what you have for us, God. Let your word come alive in our hearts this morning. That as we leave this place later on, we can say, yes, God spoke to me. Say that with all confidence. And I pray a blessing upon every home, every family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this has been a series that you probably didn't leave and, and go home and with a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart. This is not a series that's going to prompt you to say yes and maybe not say amen all the time. Because it's about finances. But the Bible has a lot to say about finances. A lot. And it's a very important topic. So today we're going to talk about learning to be content. Learning to be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. We'll read that here shortly. You know, John D. Rockefeller was a very rich man. At one point, at one point he was the richest man in the world. By the time he died in 1937, his wealth was estimated at $1.5 billion. That's with a B. Billion dollars. Making him the first billionaire in our country. At one time, Rockefeller was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? And his answer was this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. The truth is that if you study him, that John D. Rockefeller always wanted just a little bit more money because he wanted to help others. He was actually a very generous man. Did you know that he tithed to his church? He was faithful in his tithe. He provided for his children generously. He would even, he would even give out money to strangers on the street. So when he said just a little bit more, he was thinking of how he could give it away. Now, our problem today is that we have the same thought about money that he had, but we may not have the same intentions that he had. Because if he asks us, how much do you need? How much do you want? Well, just a little bit more. But our intentions may be differently. We may want just a little bit more, but we want it for ourselves. See, the problem is one of contentment. That's the issue. And it's not easy in our country. It's not easy being content in America because we may be one of the most prosperous nations in the world, but the temptation that we all face is that we ha- what, what we have is never quite enough. 
we always want just a little bit more. So Paul addresses the issues of materialism here and contentment in his first letter to Timothy. This is what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Would you agree with that? But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I told the, the prayer group this morning, and I've got an old soul. I love to watch old shows. My kid says, oh, not again. Not, not the Waltons again. Not Little House on the Prairie again. Oh. But I love those shows because, you know, the Waltons, you know, it was during the Depression. And they were so happy, you know. They had their issues, you know. Little House on the Prairie, same thing, poor, you know. But they were so content. The Bible says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, okay? But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They've hurt themselves with many griefs. So Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, that should be our goal, to combine godliness with contentment. That would make us the happiest and most fulfilled. But see, contentment has an enemy. Materialism. The desire to acquire. Notice the words Paul uses to describe materialism. Verse 9, those who want to get rich. Verse 10, not money, but the love of money. In verse 10 again, towards the end, some people eager for money. Now, basically, the desire to acquire is not inherently wrong. Not wrong. You have ambition. Christians ought to have ambition. But when it's out of control, Paul says, it causes us to pierce ourselves with many griefs. When we allow it in our lives, it causes many problems, many griefs. Some of these are worry, conflict, debt, unhappiness. So having ambition is not wrong. Having ambition is not wrong. You know, you're, you're considering a job because higher paying? Well, yes, that's good, right? You don't seek out employment for lower pay, right? Oh, I want to let, make less money. No, you may seek out employment if it offers you better opportunities, more pay, better benefits, whatever it may be. But when it's out of control, this is when it becomes an issue. Now, Philippians 4.12, he says, Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. How many of you adults grew up 
poor, or maybe you were poor and you didn't realize it. You grew up with very little. You know, you grew up with, with very little. And you look back and say, well, I guess I was poor. I didn't know it back then. I, I love life the way it was lived. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul here tells the Philippians that, that being content is a learned behavior. Being content is a learned behavior. You can't say, well, I was born not being content. That's just the way it is. I am. No. You can learn to be content. Because this is what he says. Is I have learned the secret of being content. We can learn to be content. So how can we do this? How do we do this? I would suggest that one way is we learn to be content by being grateful for what we have. Being grateful for what we have. And we need to be reminded sometimes of how blessed we are. We need to be reminded of how God has really blessed us, right? Has really blessed us. Now, many of you came to church this morning, and if you didn't eat breakfast because you're in a hurry, you're running late or something, but it wasn't because there was nothing in the house. It was probably, there was something there, but maybe you didn't like it, you're in a hurry, you know, you didn't have time to make anything, because we're all blessed. So we learn to be content by being grateful for what we have. Appreciate what God has given you. Appreciate what God has given you. Look at uh, Ecclesiastes 5.19 says this, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lots and be happy in their toll, this is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. That's the attitude God wants us to have towards our possessions. He wants you to be grateful. He wants me to be grateful for them. And he wants you to enjoy them because they're Gifts of God. They're gifts of God. What God has blessed you with, God wants you to enjoy those possessions because if you enjoy them, God, that's a gift from God. How many times have you spoken with someone who you perceive, man, that person has, has it all, has everything, lives in a nice part of town, uh, you know, and then you speak to them and they're so unhappy. They're so unhappy. And I've spoken to my coworkers, some coworkers, the, this specific coworker, she, she was my QB made nice part of town, drives a nice vehicle, nice family. And yet one day she told me, you know what, if it wasn't for my kids, I would have left my husband a long time ago. I am unhappy in my marriage. I'm thinking, how can that be? You're, 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 you live in the best part of this town. See, the reason we don't enjoy things, the reason we aren't grateful for what we already have, because we get ourselves in the when and then thinking trap. The when and then thinking trap. And the when and then thinking trap goes like this. Listen, when I get blank, then I'll be happy. 
You can fill in the blank. When I get that promotion, then I'll be happy. When I make that sale, then I'll be happy. When I close a deal, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I, when I get out of this marriage, <laughs> then I'll be happy. When we have kids, all right, then we'll be happy. When the kids go away, then they will be happy. When their grandkids come, oh, man, I can't wait for grandkids. When the grandkids leave for a little bit, oh, thank you, Jesus. See, you fill in the blank because it keeps changing, right? It keeps changing. My wife and I said, man, can you imagine how one day maybe we'll be grandparents? Wow, I can't even imagine that. It, it, you know, we, we fill in the blank because it, it keeps changing. See, that, that's, that's what happens when, you, when we get ourselves in the when and then thinking trap. When I accomplish this, then I'll be happy. When I have this position, I'll be happy. When I live in that part of town, when I drive that specific vehicle, when I have a certain amount in the account, then I'll be happy. When and then thinking doesn't work. Because if you're not happy now, you're not going to be happy then. It'll be just a brief thrill, and then it's gone. See, happiness is not getting everything you want. Happiness is enjoying what you already have. Happiness isn't getting everything you want. Happiness is really enjoying the things that you already have right now. See, the, the key to a grateful heart is don't compare. Don't compare. Second Corinthians 10.12 and I love the Bible, it speaks to all these points. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. Don't compare. Compare jobs. Compare income. Compare cars. Compare homes. It doesn't make sense to compare. You look around, man, I'm going to look like Anthony Castillo one of these days. Well, it's probably not going to happen, you know, at my age. <laughs> you know, we compare ourselves to everybody. Because you'll always find somebody who is making more money than you, right? Always. All, all the time. And then you get discouraged or you get envious. And you'll always find somebody who is making less money than you are, and you'll get full of pride. Always. They're both wrong. They're both wrong. God says, don't compare. Don't compare your possessions with other people. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Again, this is not, again, someone having goals, this is not to say you shouldn't have ambition. I think that's great. I think that's great. You know, my, my late brother passed away way back in 89, had ambition. He, his desire was to teach at a larger school, maybe teach at the university level. He never got that opportunity, but he had ambition. 
He wanted to go. And that's good. But when it's out of control, we get ourselves into a big mess. We learn to be content by being generous with what we have. You want Bible for that? Let me give you Bible. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Again, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now you may say this morning, brother, I'm glad I'm out of this because I'm not rich. Listen, in our country, we are rich. I don't care where you live, what kind of job you have, compared to the majority of the, of the world, we are rich. We are rich. We have a lot. We have a lot. I've shared this story before, and I'll share it again. The first year my wife and I went to Guatemala, the first house that we worked on. Now, I'll never forget, it was a Sunday morning, our first work day. Little house, little old lady, her last name was Hernandez. I remember that. Short lady. Her, I think they had one child, uh, uh, an adult son, and his wife and a grandbaby living in little bitty place. Her husband had died recently. She had always been, they lived in poverty all their life. And uh, she said, my husband died here, she says. She, he died here in the house of a heart attack. And we just dragged him out and went to bury him. Didn't have any money. Wasn't a, a funeral, anything. And so she was sharing to me her heart. And, and she was excited because we were building her her house. And it was... I think a kitchen and two bedrooms. That was, and to her, it, it was a mansion. To him, it's a mansion. And uh, she would come, look at the house, you know, and uh, and and she was so excited about her little house. And I think we were able to finish it that one day. I remember her telling me, uh, telling me this, and it 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 stayed it stayed with me all these years. It really has. I've never forgotten her. I've never forgotten her face. Never forgotten her last name. Okay, Hernandez. Never forgotten her last name. When she told me, you're the answer to my prayer. She said, she looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she said, you're the answer to my prayer. I want to tell her, lady, you're the answer to my prayer. I want to tell her, I'm a nobody. I really am. I'm a nobody. But in her eyes, she said, you're the answer to my prayer. God says, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's a call to us, church. First, he says, don't be proud. Don't become proud 
of your work. In other words, don't think that you're better than somebody because you have more. That doesn't make us better than anybody else because we have more. Those people that we would serve had nothing. But we weren't better than and aren't better than they are. He says, don't be proud. Secondly, he says, don't trust in your money. Why? Because you can lose your money. You know, there are as many ways to lose your money as there are to make money. You can lose your money. He says, don't trust in your money. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. <laughs> Payday comes, right? And in 24 hours, your money's gone. Three, he says, use your money to do good. In other words, don't waste it. Don't squander your money. Don't just blow it. Use your money to do good. Use your money to do good. And then he says, give generously to those in need. He wants you to be generous. The Bible says very clearly that the more we receive, the more we are, we are to give. Why is that? Why is that? Because giving is the only antidote to the disease of materialism. Materialism is coveting. It simply is all about, I want more. Get, 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 get all I can for me. Sometimes we're like kids, right? We want it. We want it. We want it. Landon. <laughs> he wants something, man. He wants it and he wants it and he wants it. He will, he will wear you out. And that's the opposite of, uh, you know, the opposite of, of getting is giving. So every time that I give, I, I'm breaking the grip of materialism in my life. I'm coming against that, that, that mindset of materialism. Giving is the opposite of getting. Giving is the opposite of getting. My giving reveals my spiritual maturity. My giving determines and shows the direction of my heart. My giving reveals how much I love God. My giving reveals how much I love God. My generosity shows what I'm really like inside. What I'm really like inside. And Jesus said there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. There's more happiness in giving than in receiving. So we learn to be content by being grateful for what we have and by being generous with what we have. And maybe, you know, you say, I don't have a lot of finances. Maybe it's being generous with your time, with your talents, by being generous. We learn to be content by being godly about what we have. What does it mean to be godly? Walk around like this all the time? You know? No. It means to maintain the right perspective about our possessions. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. 
Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, focus on what is going to last. Give your attention to permanent values. Maybe you need to reorganize your life around eternal priorities because things do not prepare you for eternity. When you stand before God one day at the end of your life, God's not going to say, how much money do you have in your bank account? That's not one of the questions he's going to ask you. He's not going to ask you, how much did you get in life? How big a house do you live in? What part of town do you live in? He's going to ask you, how much did you give? How generous were you with what I gave you? That's what it means to be godly. It means to have a proper perspective on possessions. See, the, the, the worst effect of materialism is this, that, it, that it, it, it clouds my vision of God. The worst effect of materialism is that it clouds my vision of God. See, we can't let that happen. We can't allow ourselves to get a warped view of God and of this world. Finish up here. Jesus told a story about this one time. He said there was a wealthy, wealthy, a wealthy man who had a banner year, a record profit year. His business did great. At the end of the year, he just thought, well, what am I going to do with all these profits? And I have so much. What am I going to do? He said, I don't know what I'll do. The Bible says, that he said, I'll just build, build bigger barns to store all my, all my crops. That's what I'll do. I, I'll build bigger barns. I'll open up multiple accounts for all of my profits. It never occurred to him to share. It never occurred to him, you know what? I, great profits is here. Let me just share some of this. Let me give this away. No, he says, I'm going to build bigger barns. To be generous with those in need, it never occurred to him. It, it, it never occurred to him that there was more to life than material things. He just said, I'm going to build bigger barns. And you know what Jesus called him? He called him a fool. He says, you fool. That's what he called him. It's bad when Jesus calls you a fool, by the way, when you get to that point. He said fools are people who live their entire life based on the material world, not realizing that it's not going to last. It's not going to last. It's not going to last. I really have an appreciation for parents, and I thank God for Solid Rock Church, and I'm just not saying that I see parents who are raising their kids in, in the things of God. I really have an appreciation for that. I really do. When I see kids that are being raised, their parents are showing them God's way. You know, your kids, let me tell you this, parents, your kids that are young, 
they're always going to remember that. They're always going to remember. They're going to say, you know what I remember when I was young? Mom and dad took me to church. How many of you adults remember your parents doing that? Yeah? Right? Your parents took you to church, and you have those fond memories, and then some of you parents, you're instilling those principles in your kids. And I really have an appreciation for that. I really do. I really do. And I love to see the kids come up here because these kids, these are, you're building memories for your kids that have eternal value. It, they have eternal value. And, you know, if I could, I'd love to move forward five, ten years and ask these kids when they're teenagers, what do you remember? I remember when I was a kid, and hopefully they'll still be attending God's house. I remember as a kid, my, my mom, my dad, my grandma took me to church. And I really have an appreciation for that. Parents, don't just, you know, know that you're doing a great thing when you bring your children to church, your grandchildren, because you're building memories in, in their lives and in their hearts. Because that's the way I was raised. We've raised our kids. My kids are not perfect, believe me. But we raise our kids coming to God's house. My prayer is that one day we have grandkids, that they'll be raised loving God, coming to church. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. So I have an appreciation when you're instilling in them things that have eternal value. So many parents are involved and they put their kids in activities that have no eternal value. Have no eternal value. Sundays used to be a, a, a day, you know, attend church with your family. And now Sunday seems to be a day where if you want to sleep in, you sleep in. If, you want to, if you're involved in some kind of select sport, you're traveling all over this place, take your kid to all kind of activities, soccer, baseball, whatever it is, and we're involved in things that have no eternal value. I'm not against these things. I love these things, but we've got to put them in perspective. We've got to be involved in things that have eternal value for your kids and for your grandkids, for your loved ones. What is going to last is that it has, it's got to have eternal value. Your relationship to God, your relationship to others. That's what has eternal value. That's what's going to last. So I commend you, parents. I commend you. You parents that bring your kids to church, good for you. I applaud you. You know, and I honor you today because you're doing a good thing. You are setting up your kids to succeed. Don't set your kids up to fail. Because if you set your kids up to fail, this, this is the type of conversation we're going to have later on in a few years. Oh, pastor, please help me for my daughter and my son. They don't want to serve God. Well, you set them up to fail. You set them up to fail. It's got to have eternal value. So this morning, I want you to evaluate yourself. Are you feeling any of the symptoms of materialism in your life? Worry, conflict, unhappiness, debt? It's, if so, 
today's a good day to turn to God and to ask Him to help you learn to be content. Learn to be content. Not that you don't have goals, not that you don't have, you know, aspirations. Those are good to have. But learn to be content in the situation that you're in. Ask God to help you be grateful, to help you be generous, to help you be godly. Lord, help me to be grateful. Help me to be grateful. Now, you know, I'll finish up with this. I've always said, if we're going to blame God for the things that happen to us in our lives, if we're going to blame God for the bad, the bad things that we perceive are happening that God allows in our lives, that God does to us, if we're going to take that stand, then I think it's only fair, it's only right, that we give God credit when good things happen in our life. Right? It's only, that's, it's only fair. That if we're going to blame God for things that happen in our lives, I've seen so much on social media, Oh, if there's a God, there wouldn't be all these tragedies, hurricanes happening. It's, you know, if there was really a God and, and God get, gets the blame for all these things, I want to say, listen, if, if, if that's what you're going to do, go for it. But you better give God credit for the good things that happen in your life then. Give God credit. So today, perhaps we need to be reminded, God, remind me how blessed I am. Remind me how blessed I am. You know, I, I may not have the most money in an account. I may not have an account. I may not drive the nicest vehicle. I may not live in the nicest part of town. I may not eat steak all the time. I may not wear the latest fashion. But God, you've blessed me. Because the Bible says... And if we have food, we have clothing, we ought to be content. We ought to be content.